0: On this episode, Paralysis of Analysis, Burning Your Gear, and Giving Up Social Media. Welcome to the Almost There Adventure Podcast. Maria Tilden, Jeff Hester, and Jason Fitzpatrick.
1: Well, welcome to another episode of the Almost There Adventure Podcast. Today, I am very excited to introduce Nicole Antoinette. She is an author, a thru-hiker, an ex-van lifer, a coach. She is all sorts of things. Um, And I am just really excited to have Nicole talk to us about her outdoor experiences. We're really excited to talk about the book. Um, but you also used to be a reformed indoor kid or grew up as an indoor kid. So, very excited to talk about your journey and how you went from being an indoor kid to writing a book about your journey on the Arizona Trail. Thanks for joining us today.
2: Thanks for having me, it's good to see you. I can't believe you moved to Bend right after I left Bend. I we were know. We just in the night. <laughs> exactly.
0: I didn't think anybody ever left Bend. I thought just people went up there, they got put in pods and turned into pod people and just never left.
2: Yeah, it turns out Ben's a really expensive place to live. So,
0: I don't The beer is cheaper than in LA. I know that firsthand. But otherwise, yeah.
2: As your your resident sober person, that was not an argument for me to stay.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Well, tell us a little bit more about yourself, just in general. Like, introduce yourself to our audience.
2: Just in general. Let's see. Okay. Just in general? Well, I am a recent Massachusetts resident now, moved across the country for love, uh, met my partner while hiking the PCT, and never thought that I would move to the suburbs of Boston. And here I am, Mm -hmm. uh, adopted a puppy a couple of months ago, which is both very cute and very life-ruining. I don't know if you all know this. Adopting a puppy ruins your life. So that's been beautiful. Um, I love hiking, as you mentioned, and particularly really long hikes, although I didn't start doing any outdoorsing things until I was in my early 30s. So I'm almost 38 now, and so I'm having my slightly later in life, almost midlife, I don't know what we call this time period, um, love affair with walking. In the woods which no one ever told me was so great growing up in manhattan and london and really big cities so <laughs> awesome
0: well now and now that this kind of sounds funny now that you've sort of moved across the country for love you have a puppy and a partner and all of this it's kind of ironic that the name of your book is how to be alone right know, so is this all written like prior to this was or, or is this you know during how did how does the timing of your your book you know which is about being alone you know coincide with with you know all these life changes
2: yeah it's it's funny so the hike that the book is about was in 2017 which at this point i'm sure not just for me for everyone for all of you feels like a lifetime ago like talking about talking about anything pre-covid feels like it was a different world and then thinking about 2017 i was actually married then um have since been divorced lived on and off in a tiny van for 3 years right so a lot has happened in that period of time but yeah, so the how to be alone or the being alone—it was a really solo hike, which I'm sure we will get into. But that was, yeah, many. What was that? Five years, six years ago? Math. Uh, it was a while ago at this point. Six
0: years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Thank okay. you. See, yeah. some, someone can do math, right? <laughs> Not me. I went to art school. But uh... <laughs> um, so well, I, I know. Let's get back to the beginning. You started. You say you grew up in very urban, very city environments, mm-hmm. and then founded in your early 30s. How did you initially find it, and did you? start big, or did you work your way up to doing the PCT and becoming a thru-hiker?
2: Yeah, so I I guess need to go back in time a little bit. Um, I mentioned being sober. Um, I got sober a month before my 26th birthday, and the thing that really helped me was running. And I had never been an athlete, never done like little kid sports, never done anything remotely sporty or athletic my whole life. We'd find excuses to get out of gym class, right? Like I was that kid, like let me hide behind the bleachers and maybe they won't realize that I didn't run the mile. Um, And I decided, to start running, which was really an out-of-left-field idea for me. And I'm so grateful for it because it was really the way out of the hole, a transfer of obsession, which I know is not unique to me. But having something else to focus on and to fill my life with was really helpful in getting sober. And I ran pretty seriously. By seriously, I mean I cared about it, not that I was fast or <laughs> did anything impressive. Uh, I ran pretty seriously for four years and loved it. Running was the first thing that I ever started and was terrible at and didn't quit. And that was huge for me because I have had always been someone who didn't like things that they weren't good at. If I started something and didn't have a natural affinity to it, I'd be like, oh, well, this isn't for me, I guess. Uh, and running really changed all that. And about four years in, I was running really strong. I was like physically doing really well, but I was miserable. And I realized it was because I was afraid that if I stopped running, I would start drinking again. And so I felt like it was from this really fear-based place that just felt kind of gross and wasn't what I wanted. And so I told myself I was going to take a couple weeks off running and start to do some deeper work, right? As if that's a thing you can resolve in like a couple week period. Um, This was in 2015 and I haven't run since. So I guess that was a longer (laughs) break um, than I had been anticipating. And it was the right move for me. And I did a lot of the more sort of like healing self-work that I wanted to do. But I found that I missed the progressive physical challenge of running. I liked that it was an arena in which I couldn't lie to myself, right? That you either did the miles or you didn't. You ran the time or you didn't, right? There was something really black and white about it that I didn't feel in a lot of the rest of my life. And I had just moved to Bend in October of 2014, and that was the most outdoorsy place I had ever lived. I couldn't believe all these people that I was meeting and these sports they were doing that I feel like I hadn't even heard of. And are these real people who do three different sports in the same day? And, you know, so I went on a couple of day hikes and thought, Okay. This is nice. And in the winter of 2015, going into 2016, I was on Amazon and it was the kind of Kindle, if you liked this book, you'll probably like this book recommendation. Uh, And the book was called Through Hiking Will Break Your Heart by my now friend, Carrot Quinn. It's such a good book. And it was about a PCT through hike by someone who was a pretty unlikely hiker and hadn't gotten into it until their early thirties and, you know, was not a tall, you know, bearded white dude in a flannel. And I'm like, oh my gosh. (laughs) This person did this hike and didn't die. Maybe I could do something like this and not die. And so I think it was just like the right idea at the right time where I was craving a different kind of challenge. I was craving something else to be obsessed with. Like, you know, that feeling when you've got 30 tabs open, right? You like aren't going to bed because you're just like clicking from one tab to the other to like learn more about this thing that you were previously unfamiliar with. And that was really my experience. And so then the seed got planted of maybe I could hike for a long time outside by myself. So there's two things on that. One, we've interviewed Carrot. Mm-hmm. They're
1: amazing. Oh, we didn't Carrot know that. Them. Okay, yeah. I'm going to
2: have yeah. to go back and listen to that. Great. Yeah. Love so, Carrot.
1: So like, that's awesome. Love that connection. And the other thing I took away from that is something that I'm so passionate about is that it. what inspired you was like you read a book about somebody who was like you, right? So like same age, same, didn't have the experience and how important it is for us to have those moments where you see, where you can be at inspired or you can have an aspirational moment because you see that representation right whatever that looks like um and I absolutely love that I love that that's where whereas when you move to Bend and you're like I'm not doing three things in one day any day (laughs) like
2: yeah that might not that might not be the the right thing the the environment in Bend I mean obviously it was also really lovely but it felt like very competitive outdoorsy almost like out outdoing or one-upmanship a little bit. And I was really intimidated by that as someone who was, I mean, I had never gone camping a night in my life, right? This wasn't like a thing that I did as a kid and was finding my way back to. Like literally the most outdoorsy thing my parents have ever done is eat dinner on the patio of a nice restaurant under a heat lamp, like maybe right? And so for me, it was a whole new world. And when you're starting something as a complete beginner, especially at an age where maybe you feel less comfortable being a beginner than sometimes we do when we're younger, I think that there can be, or at least for me, there was a lot of fear. And the gap between what I what I didn't know and what I wanted to know was so huge that it felt really insurmountable. So I think if I wouldn't have wouldn't have had some kind of mentor or role model like that that I could see myself in, I never would have tried.
1: I would say though the thir- I started all my outdoor stuff in the thirties too, having never like backpacked a day in my life. Um and I think though, but there's something about your thirties that I think it's like you you recognize the beginner piece. Right? So you recognize, like, I have no idea what I'm doing. But you're also old enough and mature enough to be like, I'm going to learn all the shit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I got to like learn and educate myself and try to get that experience to help me do the thing that I've now decided I want to do. When
0: I, like when I started, you know, it was my early twenties and I was still stupid. So I just carried like 80 pounds of stuff, you know, (laughs) (laughs) you know, so yeah. yeah. But you know, and then you learn, you're like, Oh, I don't need that. I don't need that. I, gosh, I've carried this on five trips and never used it once. You know,
2: I also feel like, yes, it's great to, you know, have mentors and do research, and there are some mistakes that you can avoid, you know, if you learn from other people, but there really is no substitute for your own personal experience. Like there's definitely things that I carried at the beginning that I don't carry now either because, you know, what do they say? You pack your fears, right? That it was things that I needed in order to make myself feel comfortable enough to start or, you know, any of that kind of stuff that I get a lot of questions now from like, uh, about to be long distance hikers, right? People who are planning their first trip and either like see some kind of resonance in my story or they want advice or questions. And it's like, I'm always trying to tell people Learn enough so that you can go out into the conditions that you're going out into safely, but also don't get trapped in over-research, right? Like, let some of it be a surprise. It's like, don't watch every trail video that you know what's around every bend, right? And it's ni- I think it's nice to be surprised and also to accept that you cannot prepare for every eventuality. Like, you just can't, you'll learn, you learn how to do the thing by doing the thing.
3: Yeah, hello, hello. there's that, you know, the, the saying, the paralysis of analysis, right? You know, it just, you can, you can really, kind of get stuck almost feeling like I have to know it all and I have to have all the, the perfect gear and have everything dialed in for me to do this successfully. And that's not really what you need. Really what you need is adaptability. Now I'm kind of curious, Nicole, What what's one of those things, maybe one of those things that you carried that you don't carry now because you knew, you know, like you kind of knew you did your homework and all that. You
2: were Yeah, I feel like this is maybe a weird answer, but I don't carry as much water as I used to. Yeah. Um, I think I know, I was so afraid of dehydration. I mean, particularly on the Arizona trail, um, especially I went in the fall and it was, I think maybe a drier than average year. And I was regularly carrying five to six liters of water and Ooh. still rationing it because I didn't know there was no water data that was within the last three weeks of when I had gone out there. There was just like nobody out there in the fall of 2017. And I, I, was rightfully afraid, right, of dying, of not having any water, which I think is, I would have rather carried more water and been fine. But I have in the years since, like, gotten to know my body a lot better and gotten better about, okay, let me actually drink a full liter at this water source instead of taking a couple sips and then carrying two liters to the next water source and then taking a couple sips, right? That I think some of that, um, Lightning of the load was food, food and water related to like overpacking for both of those things, because you just don't, you don't know what you don't know. You don't know how your body is going to respond.
3: Yeah. What, what prompted you to pick the, so you were in Bend and you decided to do the Arizona trail. What, what attracted you to that trail?
2: So, the very first thing that I did was actually the Oregon section of the PCT in 2016. Okay. That was my first um, long distance hike, which I picked just because it was logistically convenient. There was no part of me that thought I had any business trying to do the whole PCT. That just seemed like something that I could not wrap my mind around. Um, but I'm like, well, I live in Oregon. I live pretty close to this trail. Um, I, I mentioned that I was married at the time. Like, I have someone who can easily come pick me up, you know, 20 minutes into this if I've made a terrible mistake. Uh, and so that was my first experience was hiking the Oregon section of the PCT and I hated it so much and when I got to the end of that trip I was absolutely convinced that I would never go backpacking again if you would have come up to me in Cascade Locks and been like give me all of your gear I would like to set it on fire I would have been like great here you go burn it all torch what, what, it this is not for me.
3: <laughs> why Why did you hate it? Uh, what was about that trip that you know?
2: I, f- I think the main thing even in doing research, was that the gap between my expectation of the thing and the fantasy of the thing was so large that really if you only follow people on Instagram, right? Like if that's kind of your entrance point, a lot of folks are posting their highlight moments, right? And that's fine, like no shade at that. But I feel like I just, I was angry that no one had talked about how boring it is to walk for 8 to 12 hours a day. And, like, not all the time. Sometimes it's incredible. But it was like running. I feel like one every 12 runs, you'd have the magical unicorn run where it felt incredible. One every 12 runs would be like, oh, my gosh, this is awful. And then a lot of the rest of it is like, okay, it's fine, right? And I think, I don't know, I just had this idealized version of what it was gonna be to like walk all day and have these views and the sunsets. And it was all of that, but there was also so much of it that wasn't that, and it was just so boring and lonely. And I made the mistake, maybe mistake, of starting that hike in early August so I it was my first time ever doing something like this and I dropped myself into the middle of the Nobo bubble so like all the the through hikers that had started down in Mexico and were 1700 miles in and were so experienced so like my imposter syndrome that I felt that I like didn't really know how to set up my tent and here are these people that have just walked for 1700 miles like I it was so it was just so overwhelming for me
0: so then how did you transition from that experience into, into then like doing the whole trail if if you know if it was so <laughs> it was such a hard, hard, so hard on you what made you decide to give it another shot
2: Yeah, I still it's funny, I feel like I should have a better answer to this, because I've been asked it all of the time, especially now, like talking about the book, which is about the hike that I did the year after that, because like I said, you could have burned all my gear, I was done, I went home. And I don't know, I think like enough time went by that partially I forgot how terrible it was, I'm told childbirth is like this, I don't know, Um, that enough time goes by that you're like, sure, I'll have a second kid. Um, I think that and then I also think there was something that I really wanted to get out of long distance hiking or something that I thought was going to be such a good fit for me that hadn't been realized. And there was just this like little sense of I need to try again. And leading up to the Arizona Trail, I was in this period of my life where I was really a big people pleaser. I was in this phase of people pleasing, of relying too much on other people's opinions, caring too much about what other people thought. And I wanted an experience of self-reliance in like kind of a drastic way. Um, and so I got curious what would happen if I were to do one more hike. That's what I told myself. Just one more hike and see how it goes. And I found that's how the Arizona Trail came to be. I wanted to do something that I didn't think that I could do. And there was like something appealing to me about starting something that I was 100% convinced that I was going to fail.
1: And so the Arizona Trail is an interesting choice, right? So it was maybe- a stupid
2: choice. The word you're looking for is stupid choice. <laughs>
1: I wouldn't say that because I mean desert some people love the desert um but versus you know most people like the PCT the AT you know like it's not I don't think like a first like I'm gonna do a through hike and do the whole thing that's not a go-to so
2: why did you land on that trail yeah it's interesting I mean Because we're talking, again, 2017, right? I think that through hiking in general has continued to get more popular since then. I think the Arizona Trail specifically has gotten a lot more popular. And even still, my understanding is that the majority of the people who do the Arizona Trail go northbound in the spring because there's more water. And what happened for me, it was more of a timing issue when I had time to do a hike, it was like a late September, early October start. And there aren't a ton of great options, or at least not that I found in the U.S. I was deciding between the Superior Hiking Trail, um, the Long Trail, and the Arizona Trail. And the Arizona Trail was the one I kept feeling drawn to because it was the hardest. Um I remember I emailed the Arizona Trail Association and, like, basically asked them if I was going to die if I went out there alone and did this, like, southbound hike. Um, and they sent me a very nice but cautious cover-your-ass email that was basically like, this is only for very experienced hikers, right? There's not much water. Everything's venomous, right? It was that kind of email. And I got that. And I'm like, okay, I guess this isn't for me. But I'm sure you can all relate to that feeling of, like, when the idea just won't leave you, right? Like, I just... I feel like I wanted to try 1% more than I was afraid to try, and that was enough for me to buy the one-way plane ticket and be like, well, let's see. But I feel like in a lot of ways it was a stupid idea because it was such a different experience than the little bit of hiking experience that I had, and I don't know that my skills were quite there. So I would actually love to rehike the Arizona Trail now with a lot more experience. I think it would be very enjoyable. I'm always when people tell me that they're reading the book or that they they want the book because they're going to hike the Arizona Trail, and I'm like, I promise you'll have more fun than I had. <laughs> like, you may you won't cry every day.
3: <laughs> what what would you do differently on if you were to go back and and hike it again sometime?
2: It's a good question. Um, I mean. I think the biggest thing that would be different is that I'm different, right? I have more experience, which isn't necessarily advice you can give someone. I would I would do it in the spring. Uh, it was beautiful in the fall, but th- it was just so dry. But again, that's going to be year to year. It depends on what the summer monsoon season is. So I just I think I would pay more attention to the water and go out when it wasn't so dry. Um, like I had often thirty mile, like thirty plus mile, either dry stretches or. Um, where the only water was this like very very disgusting like cow pond like literally you have to like walk through shit to get the what like it was it was bad um, but water filters work I did not get sick so I think I would pay more attention to the water um, and have a more honest conversation with myself about how lonely I was prepared to be. Um, And I I don't know the numbers of how many people are on that trail now. I don't know if it would be the same experience, but I frequently would go like two, three, four days without seeing any other humans, which maybe doesn't sound like a lot, but for me at that time in my life, having grown up in such big cities and being an extrovert and it just, it it was wild. I felt like the zombie apocalypse had happened and I was the only one left.
0: Yeah. I wonder, I I have a feeling more people are probably doing it now. Although again, it's probably again, like you said, seasonal, I'm sure more, more people, like if you were to go in spring, you would, you wouldn't have that, have those that long of a stretch without seeing someone.
2: I think so, too. I mean, and I think it's all comparative, right? It's definitely not going to be as many people as the PCT or the AT. And then it's going to be a lot more people than a more remote route, where if you're making your own route or that kind of thing. So like it's a national scenic trail, like it's an established trail. It's well marked, all of that. But um, yeah, I think I just was not prepared for how lonely I was going to be and how much water I was going to have to carry and what that was going to be like.
3: Yeah, you talked about doing like a 30 mile stretch without water. You know, Would- what was the typical mileage that you did on a daily basis?
2: Um, so the hike's about eight hundred miles. It took me forty-four days, and I took four rest days. So you did our math before. Maybe you can do our math. Yeah, again.
3: <laughs> somewhere between twenty and thirty miles a day. Is what it sounds like. Yeah. It's yeah.
2: Like... I, it, it wasn't. It wasn't in the. It wasn't in the thirties. Um, I think full days were usually in the low twenties. Okay. Um, and yeah, but the mileage was really dictated by water. You know, there right, was there was yeah. one stretch that I think it was about a hundred and fifteen miles where there were only five water sources, and so it was like, okay, well, you have you have to make it to the next one, or you have to carry just an insurmountable amount of water. Um, so a lot of the decisions were based on that. And like I said, a lot of it was because there wasn't up to date information. So it you know I knew that there could potentially be a water cache, but I wasn't going to rely on that. So. Hence the carrying 11 to 13 pounds of water most of the time.
0: What was the temperature like when you were doing it? Was it was it hot enough? Because Arizona obviously can get quite hot. I know that's higher elevation and not quite, but... I'm just, were and, it, was and it were you warm yeah
3: and were you freezing at night
0: yeah
2: it, it was a huge range there was an ice storm on my first night the first couple nights were like 24 or 26 degrees and I was so unprepared for that and like literally just laid awake in my tent all night freezing like terrified of every sound convinced something was gonna try to eat my face in the night like it was but then that that was kind of just a cold snap um And there were a lot of more moderate times, but then getting down south, you know, 90s, there were a couple days in the low 100s in the lower Sonoran Desert. Um, So also very hot. Yeah, big, it was a big range. And that, but that's one of the cool things about the Arizona Trail is that you go through such different areas. Um, But yeah, the temperature swings were huge. And
1: so once you finished the trail, were you ready to once again, burn all your stuff? And... (laughs) put it down like sort of what how did how did the you know the feeling of accomplishing you do you the have, do you have a jar of
3: ashes <laughs>
2: right. <Yeah. laughs> right. right is this the most expensive hobby in the world because i just burn and keep yeah. buying gear no no this was the hike that changed things for okay. me for sure um i it wasn't until 50 miles from the end until i was doing my last resupply in a town called patagonia that was the first time that i actually believed that i could finish the hike which is is always, it's something that I think about a lot in whenever I hear the advice of like, you have to believe in yourself, right? Like you have to believe in yourself in order to do the thing. And I'm like, mm, do you? Cause I definitely walked for 750 miles and did not believe in myself at all. And really learned that like, a lot of times, or at least for me, the self-belief is built along the way. Like I had to just keep do, like I could do the thing, even though I didn't believe that I could do the thing. And like that separation, I had never experienced so fully before. And that really changed something for me. And the feeling of accomplishment at the end, because I had spent so long not thinking that I was going to be able to do it, was really profound and it it made me want to try a more social hike right I went out I went out on the PCT for a southbound hike the year after that I'm like let me try to make a friend right like you hear about people having trail families I'm like that sounds great maybe I'll do that um so it definitely changed what type of hiking that I'm interested in but it everything that I had been looking for from long distance hiking initially I definitely got from that hike it was just emotionally a pretty brutal experience and like I was choosing to be out there, right? Like my friend, Lauren Fleshman, who I know you know, um, talks about, or like once told me this idea of it being a privilege to choose your suffering. And I think about that a lot too, that like I could have gone home at any point, right? So like not to confuse suffering that we're choosing from suffering that's put on us. Like I'm trying not to put like suffering on a pedestal. All right, we
1: need to put that quote in the show notes. I love it.
2: (laughs) Yeah, although it's, yes, not mine. That's
1: all Lauren.
0: (laughs) We'll attribute it. Great.
2: yeah and it's funny I don't even know if it's hers but she's the one who first who first said it to me but because I, I do think especially in like uh, outdoor adventure sports and other arenas too but there can be this like real over glorification of the grind um and of suffering and like I'm definitely someone who loves type 2 fun I feel like I don't really have a middle ground I either want to be like laying on a beach like reading books and having food brought to me or I want to be like suffering alone right in the Arizona wilderness I love both of those experiences but I do I do think that um this like fetish for doing hard things sometimes gets taken a little far or at least like needs to be talked about within the context of it's one thing to be to know that you could always leave and go back to a more comfortable situation
0: I think the thing that like having done this for a while now I and I think I know Jeff because Jeff and I've hiked together a lot and we I think there was a time where Jeff and I would kind of refuse to turn around And then, like, within the last few... Now, how many times have we turned around now, Jeff? It's like three or four, right? I think where it was just so sucky or bad or just Mm -hmm. didn't feel right. And we're like, nah, let's turn... You know, but maybe that's with when you've been doing it long enough and you've built up enough of a resume or enough achievements, you feel okay, like, turning around right below the top or, you know, whatever. So... Yeah, you know you'll be back. Yeah, Yeah, you know you have a chance to do another thing or you'll just be suffering and you'll make the top of the next one, you know, so...
2: I've I've heard that from hackers that are a lot more experienced than I am. Um, like even recently talking about that they're more cautious than yeah. they used to be, and yet like not have that kind of summit fever or whatever. And mm-hmm. I think I think that's really great. I wish more people talked about that because I felt at the beginning sort of like I had something to prove, and whether that was to myself or to people on Instagram or I don't know who were the amorphous they that we're trying to prove things to. But being willing. So in 2018, I set out for what was supposed to be. Um, Um, a southbound full through hike of the PCT and three months and 1,600 miles in, I quit. And I quit. I mean, I had been microblogging on Instagram every single day of the hike. Like people were relatively invested and it was a pretty public quitting process. And even that was a good lesson for me that, you know, it's not always, the best answer isn't always like, just keep going no matter what. Like quitting's awesome. I've quit many things. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, I think it's it's hard as you gotta kind of realize the difference between type two fun and suck, right? Because yeah. there is a difference, right? Type two fun is like, yeah, it's kind of suffering and it's slogging, but then it's rewarding after and you feel great. Sometimes you just slog and get home, and you're like, that was dumb. Why did I? <laughs> why didn't I turn right. around and like trying to figure out, you know, learn how to like distinguish between the two? Is it's not easy, and I, I mean, I think I, I we I still would probably make mistakes on that front, but yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, I something that I thought about a lot specifically on the Arizona Trail. I started to envision it as like the two layers of desire where like because I was pretty miserable on that hike and that was definitely a question I got from people that are like, "Uh, you're not having a good time. Why don't you go home?" which is a fair question. But I started to feel like I could see these two layers of desire that like the top layer is maybe the more superficial or like the in the moment, right? Like in the moment I'm hungry, tired, hot, cold, don't want to walk another step, like miserable which is fine as long as the deeper layer of no i really don't want to quit this does mean something to me i am willing to push through this like it was the same thing in writing the book right like there were plenty of days where the thought of sitting down at the blank page i was very resistant to doing but i knew that deep down i did still want to be doing the thing and so it's like as long as i can kind of hold the both end of that but Eventually like in quitting the PCT it was okay that deeper layer of desire is no is gone and that's no longer there And then it's time to quit.
0: Okay, so what is harder? Hiking when you're hangry and you want to quit or writing when you have writer's block, which is which is more difficult to get through?
2: I don't know that I believe in writer's block, but I think that's maybe a separate topic Um, But yeah, the resistance (laughs) to writing is very real. I think that the writing is harder because it's a lot easier to not do it like my favorite thing about long distance hiking is that it's not easy but it is simple like walk from point a to point b don't die like that is it right and like when you are out there and it's 1 p.m and it's the hottest part of the day and you're like at the base of a climb and you do not want to climb everything in your mind and body is like this is horrible Okay, well, what's the alternative? I like walk back two days to the last like resupply point where I'm like, ah, oh, I guess I'm just going to keep going. Like, it is a lot um simpler for me to do a thing that I don't want to do on a long distance hike. Cause I'm like, well, yeah, I guess I can sit down on the side of the trail for a while, but eventually I'm going to run out of water. Eventually I'm going to run out of food. Eventually it's going to be nighttime. Like, all right, I guess I'll just get on with it. Whereas with writing, I'm like, nobody really cares if I don't like do the thousand words that day or whatever so I think it's a lot easier to like play that like sneaky mental gymnastics with myself with writing than it is with hiking because the consequences are just where I'm like well if I sit here indefinitely I'm gonna die so
3: (laughs) yeah oh my gosh so
2: how long did it take you to write your book well on that note yeah this this is a funny story um so I did the hike in the fall of 2017, and then I came home and I started writing the book uh, in January of 2018 and finished the first draft uh, before I left for the PCT in July. So like in the first half of that year, and was very diligent about like you know doing my little thousand words, whatever, getting it done. And I felt so good when the draft was done. And I gave myself a couple days of break, and then I sat down. I'm like, I'm gonna read this from start to finish, this book that I wrote. And it was so bad. Or I will say it was so mediocre. And I was severely disappointed, right? Like I talked before about the gap between the fantasy of the thing and the reality of the thing with long distance hiking. This was my first, like I, I've i been writing personal stories in sort of like blog, newsletter, essay format for many, many years. But this was the first like long form thing I had tried to do. and. I don't know why i thought that i was going to be like the one writer who had the magical perfect first draft that wouldn't need any editing like the ego of that like now i'm just like girl please but (laughs) it was so mediocre and i was so disappointed that i took the the like word doc and i hid it in multiple folders on my laptop and i didn't look at it for two and a half years so that's why it's been such a long process to get the book out because I was so disappointed in like what I saw as my own mediocrity that I was like, well, I guess this just isn't for me, and so I just hid it from myself on my computer um, for two and a half years.
0: So, gee, what happened in that time between then and now that might make you want to finish a book or, yeah. or do whatever? I don't know.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, in those two and a half years, my life changed pretty dramatically. Um, you know, got divorced, moved into a tiny van, uh, did a lot more hiking. Um, COVID, you know, so it was just, it was an intense two and a half years. And I also have to give myself the grace of, you know what, a lot of other stuff was going on during that time. It's okay that you weren't, you know, diligently editing this book while trying to rebuild a life. What happened was, so I picked it back up again in early 2021. And I just had this feeling that it would be worth it to do the editing to get it into like a format and a story that I really loved essentially like just kind of like through hacking to like prove to myself that I could but also I didn't like the same way that I wanted to do the Arizona Trail because I didn't believe that I could and I was really interested in working on my own resilience and like my own friendship with myself and how I treat and talk to myself during times that I perceive to be my own weakness and I had gotten so good at that when it came to hiking and yet wasn't applying any of those lessons to writing. And so I was interested in giving myself a chance, like with no thoughts of publishing it, with no thoughts of anyone else ever reading it, but it felt worth it to me to A, like work on the skills of editing, right? Like I had spent so long writing, but I had, of course I wasn't good yet at editing a long form project because I had never done it, like what a silly expectation. And I felt like what I wanted was to not have it just be this open loop in my mind of something that I gave up on just because it was it felt too hard. Like that didn't feel like a good enough reason for me. Like it, so what's next? So you have the book, what's yeah. next? What's the,
3: well, well, actually maybe let's back up just a little bit. Cause we, you mentioned in passing the name of the book. but Let's talk about that book. I mean, what's sure. the name of the book? When's it coming out? It's like, is it out now?
2: It is, it came out this week um, Ooh, at the time of this yay. recording. Uh, it's called How to Be Alone, an 800 mile hike on the Arizona trail. And it's very much a like day by day adventure memoir. Um, of a pretty new long distance hiker doing something above her pay grade, um, <laughs> in her like early to mid thirties, yeah. Um, and it's it's fun. I'm really, I've been. It's been really great. The publishing process was interesting because what I decided to do. Once I did all of the editing and I got it to a place that I really liked it and was happy with it, I was then at the crossroads of, do I want to try to get an agent? Do I want to get a book deal? Do I want to self-publish on Amazon, right? There were all these different options. And what I actually decided to do in the fall of 2021 was I was getting really overwhelmed. You mentioned before the paralysis of analysis. Um, There were too many options, and they all felt hard. And I didn't know what to do next. And so one of my favorite questions to ask myself is, what if this were easy? Right? Like what, or like what would have to be true in order for you to be willing to move to the next step? And I was like, I just want this to be out there. I just want it to be available, and I want it to be available in like a financially accessible way to people who are interested. So I turned the book into a PDF. I made a little cover. I put it up on my website in a pay what you can format. The suggested price was $19, but you know, people could pay $1. Some people paid $1. Some people paid $50. Um, and you know, I said, email me if you can't afford it, and I'm happy to send you you know a free copy. But it was just available as a PDF. Um, And I thought that that was going to be the end of it. But the response was awesome. And like people were really into it. And I was getting these really unexpected messages, Um, one that really sticks with me. I got a message from a woman who had been a longtime backpacker but had only ever gone backpacking with her husband and had always been too afraid to go alone, which is totally fair, and um, said that after reading the book, you know, went out for a long weekend by herself. And I'm like, that's it. Like, the success metric has already been met, right? Like, if I can do for someone else what Carrot did for me, right? Like, I sort of felt this desire to contribute in a small way to this, like, body of work that had been so impactful for me personally when I was first starting out and so I got some of those messages but then I was also getting a bunch of messages from people that were like I would love this but I'm not going to read a whole book as a pdf right like can you please make like a kindle version or you know a a paperback that kind of thing and so that's how I wound up then hiring a designer and doing that and going this this more um I was going to say more traditional it's still self-published but going this more traditional route where people can actually like you know, go to Bookshop, go to Indie Bound, right? And buy the book. So
1: that's actually a really good point. So where do people find your book?
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, you can find it anywhere. You can find out on Amazon. You can find it bookshop.org. Um, the little website that I made for it is backpackingbooks.com. So, um, I have, so that book, and then, um, I have a second adventure memoir about the Colorado trail that comes out in September. So they're both up there. Oh. I'm very findable. Um, Yeah. yeah. We should, talk. How...
0: we should talk. I may or may not have a movie about the Colorado Trail. So there's, yeah. there's,
2: there's uh... <laughs> it's yeah. an incredibly beautiful trail. So yeah. Yeah. yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. I, I love, I love hiking the Colorado Trail. That was a really different experience. Um, very, very different than the Arizona Trail for me. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what I was just going to ask. What were like the main differences
1: between hiking the trails and writing about the trails?
2: Mm. So other than last summer, I did the um, 165-ish mile collegiate loop through hike in Colorado. And that was the first time that I hadn't done a daily microblog on Instagram, uh, where I like wrote about every single day of every hike that I did for you know almost 5,000 miles, which in some ways I really enjoyed, particularly on the Arizona Trail. Um, one of the things that I was the most afraid of going into the Arizona Trail was hiking alone in the dark and because of the time of year that i went it was like pitch black by 6 p.m and like only getting you know earlier and earlier and so I would just be in my tent for like 14 hours alone like in the dark afraid with nobody to talk to and like no cell phone service and having a creative project like have like having the task of writing about the day I feel like kept me sane during that time and so I was really grateful on like more solo hikes to have that and I you know I met so many cool people that way um but then there were some times especially on more social hikes where I like a little bit resented the commitment that I had made because I wanted to spend my rest days in town like with my friends or doing things and instead it would be like I'm locked in this hotel room nobody talked to me for five hours I have to catch up on this writing and it's even funny talking about that like I have to nobody was making me I easily could have stopped doing it but I felt like it was a commitment that I had made Um, but having all of the daily writing was really useful then when doing the um, longer form like book stuff because I had the daily writing plus I take a ton of notes throughout the day um, just on my phone when I'm hiking.
3: When you were writing, did it bring it all right back to you? Did it come all right back to you? Like you know you could like picture yourself on that day, on that place, on that trail, in those circumstances. Just because you know of your notes and looking at the maps and everything else, you you know just take you right back there.
2: Yeah, I actually feel like. Writing, I mean, writing about anything, but writing about hiking has been such a gift because you do get to experience it again and you also get to experience, let's say, a really hard day or I was, there was a point during the Arizona Trail where I had decided to quit. I didn't wind up going through with it, but like I was, it was, that was it. I was done. I was like at the next town. I'm done. I'm quitting. And you don't have you don't know the future in that moment. And so when you go back and you're writing about it and you're writing about that day and those feelings, but with the knowledge of then what comes on the other side of it, it's, I don't know, I I found it a pretty cool reflection process. But it's been interesting because this hike was such a long time ago. and now talking about the book and having other people ask me questions about the book like it feels very present even though it's not and that's been really sweet because like i mentioned it i wasn't very nice to myself around that time and i have learned so much as a hiker that it's actually given me this is going to sound maybe like a little bit cheesy but some good opportunities for self-forgiveness and like self-compassion to just like think about who i was as a brand new backpacker and all of the things I was so afraid of and all the terrible things I was convinced were gonna happen that didn't happen and to just look back on that version of myself and be like oh babe it's gonna be okay like you know you were doing the best that you could so it's it's I mean and that I think extends far beyond hiking right it's nice to be able to look back at earlier versions of ourselves, especially when we were really struggling and be like you did the best you could. It all turned out fine. Mm-hmm.
3: My, my wife, Joan, uh, we hiked the John Muir Trail together. That was like the biggest hike she had ever done. I had done it once before, but there were a couple points on that trail where she sat down on a rock and she just said to me in all sincerity, you go on. I'm I'm going to live the rest of my days here on this rock, <laughs> you know, and. <laughs> <laughs> and, and relatable, not, to relatable me, not joking content. around, yeah. totally dead serious. Like this is what's going to happen. You know, I'm going to mm-hmm. stay here, you're going to go on. It's really been great so far, but you know, <laughs> this is it for me. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I've, I've had moments on hikes where it's either you're so tired or, you know, any of those moments that you're talking about where I would just lay down on the trail, like my body in the dirt and be like, if I'm very still, eventually the earth will reclaim me. Like it will just, the plants will grow over me, right? Like this is it, I've come to the end. Yeah, but but again, one of the things I love about long distance hiking is like there is time in one day of long distance hiking to have the roller coaster of every human emotion that has ever been felt ever. And it's, it's wild, like how it can be the most miserable experience of your life and then three hours later you're like oh this is the best I never want to not be doing this and that has also helped me to just keep a little bit more perspective of like nothing lasts right like if you feel horrible at some point you will feel not horrible and if you feel amazing at some point you will feel not amazing again and that was something that I tried to practice during that hike was just like not over attached to any feeling which like very much easier said than done like don't get me wrong but
0: and now when you did uh, the Colorado Trail and and you know these other these other trails since there were you alone do you now have like tri- uh, hiking partners or friends you go with do you you know do section parts with other people what's what's what, how do you handle these now
2: yeah, b- at both. I feel like there's pros and cons to hiking alone, for sure, which, you know, we can get into if you want to. But um, yeah. I, I met my now partner um, on the PCT, and so he and I have done a bunch of hikes together, which is great. Um, we have learned through the trial and error of that that we were actually hiking together too much. Like, we would hike together all day, every day, and that was way too much. Um, we're both a lot tougher when we're by ourselves. Like, if there's nobody to complain to, I just don't complain, right? So we kind of... Now have more of a pattern of, okay, we'll like hike separately for most of the day and have, you know, a picked out lunch spot where we're gonna meet or a camp spot. Like I love having people to camp with. That's my favorite, is having people to talk to at the end of the hiking day and like have dinner with. I love that. But I really do like hiking alone. And, you know, obviously the camaraderie of going out on a trail with someone is is wonderful, and you're not as nimble. It's oh, everything's a negotiation, right? How far do you want to go? I don't know. How far do you want to go? What if this person is a little bit injured? Are you going to wait for them? Are you going to slow down? Right, like all that kind of stuff. Um, that when you're alone. You just do whatever it is that you want to do so i've done i've done both he's had some injury issues the last couple of years um so all the hiking i did last year i did by myself and then i'm leaving in four weeks four weeks from today actually to go uh um, back out to the pct to do another section and i'm going by myself so i but also it's like with a trail like that i'm not going to be alone right you will meet other people out there Mm -hmm. for sure but i i love solo hiking Really. And I think I think because the Arizona Trail was such an extreme experience of that for me that I'm like, well, it can't be worse than that. i <laughs> like, I'm not going to be more lonely than I was there. Hopefully.
3: So we talked about sort of the the misery that we all experience on long, you know, backpacking trips. But I think one of the things that I appreciate, well, one of the things that I like or take away from that is that it gives me a greater appreciation for little things, the little comforts in life, you know, like. Coming off the trail and, and you know, like sleeping in a bed, just any bed is amazing compared to the best air mattress or, you know, foam pad that you might use backpacking. A bed is awesome. Yeah. And you don't appreciate it when you though it's all you know is sleeping in a bed. You go sleep on the ground for a month or whatever and then come back to a bed. You're like, oh, my God, I've died and gone to heaven. You know, this yeah. is awesome. And I think yeah. that's the one of the great things about it.
2: You, you're so right, Jeff. I... So it's funny, I feel like in the week after getting off trail, I feel that way about everything, like, oh, my God, you can just like open the fridge and there's food, right? And most of that does fade. But I will tell you from my very first long distance hiking experience in 2016 to now, the one thing that has never faded is the glory of stepping into a hot shower. I will wow. tell every single shower that I have taken from August of 2016 to now, there's like a minute and a half at the beginning where out loud, I mean, like if you're, if anyone's in the house with me, I'm just under the stream of water. Oh my God, have you ever been a person in a body? This is amazing. Like God is real. Like it just, it has not faded for one second. Every time I get in the shower, I'm just like, this is the best thing that's ever happened to a person. So that was my experience of that. Like, everything else I take for granted again really quickly. Um, but for whatever reason, I have just, showering's amazing.
3: Yeah. Well, I think that's one of the things we can always share with people. You know, it's like, why do you do it? If you're uncomfortable, stop. Well, there's a reason. I mean, that's not necessarily the reason, but it's a it's a nice perk, you know, from this thing. It gives you a real appreciation for the little things in life, like tap water, you know. Oh,
2: my God. Right? Right? <laughs> Towels, like showering with a towel. Yes. I mean, I, I think... It's an interesting question, right? Like why do something that's hard so much of the time? And I feel like it's quite an individual question. And I have found that I have enjoyed my hikes more when I have taken time to think about before going on any hike, why do I want to do this hike? Like why this hike? Why now? What am I? hoping to bring to it what am i hoping to experience what am i hoping to practice and it's been pretty different for me on different hikes and obviously you can't control what it is that you are going to experience but for me to have a connection with why i'm doing something because you know if you're going to go do something for a long weekend or three weeks or three months or five months or whatever, there's so many other things you could be doing. And there is an opportunity cost every time you're choosing something. You're choosing not to be something like this, like you're choosing not to be home with your friends and family, not uh, to make strides in your work unless somehow through hiking is your work, right? And so there are trade-offs, and it helps me to know why is it that I'm doing this. And that also helps during times when I want to quit.
1: So how have you transitioned? Because through hiking, van lifing, you said you recently or semi-recently moved into and are settled into brick and mortar in Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. How's that going? And how are you feeling with that transition? And what what are the outdoors bringing to you in in your new home?
2: Yeah, I I feel really grateful to have a home base. So what happened for us... um, my partner and I were living with his dad on and off for a couple of years, like during like peak peak, you know, lockdown pandemic time where we would be with his we were with his dad for seven months, and then we would be in Oregon in our vans over the summer and then back with his dad for seven months and then back in our vans. Um, you know, and the puzzle pieces of life that I was trying to put together over the last couple of years were, I want to spend a lot of time doing long distance hikes. I want to do the work that I want to do and make things that feel good to make. I want to earn enough money that I don't feel like I'm in like scarcity panic all the time, but I don't want to give up the time freedom that I have being self-employed and so and I want a home base, right? So it was like trying to figure out what that puzzle looked like and For two years, the answer was live with his dad for free and live in a van, right? That was great. Um, And the house that we live in now, uh, his family actually owns and has owned for quite some time. So there's no mortgage on it. So it's like this unbelievable for a village to be able to live here and just have to pay utilities. Like, we don't have to pay rent or mortgage. And so that's why we decided to stay here, um, because it was the missing piece of I don't have to earn any more money, can still have the flexibility to try and like the time Money to travel and also have a home base. So I'm super grateful the transition has been hard and that I don't know anybody here. I have a couple of friends in kind of like the Cape Cod, Boston, you know, but everyone's like one to three hours away, which is you can see them once a month, but it's not the daily you want to come over for dinner type of friends. uh, And I have found it quite challenging. To make, I mean, how do you make friends if you work from home alone and don't go to a church and don't have kids and it's a pandemic, right? Like, I'm I'm, that's like a real question for me. Um, But because this is potentially the like forever home, I don't feel like I'm in a rush for it. But I miss Bend. I miss my friends there. I miss the mountains. Um, I'm looking forward to having more of like an East Coast love affair, getting to know more of the New England outdoorsy things. my partner and I are hiking the long trail in July. So I think that that will be a neat, uh, very uh, up and down elevation experience. Oh
3: yeah, yeah, for sure. I read that you were giving up social media. Is that happening? Is that true? That what, is
2: happening, like, May what 1st. Is,
3: what does that look like? And, and tell us, talk a little bit about that.
2: Great question. Uh, May 1st is gonna be my last day on Instagram, which at this point is my last remaining social media. Um, wh- what do you wanna know?
3: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I I guess why and, you know, what are you hoping to gain from this?
2: Yeah, I, I've been thinking about it for years um, of just kind of what role I want social media to have in my life. There's been times where it's felt great. I've made so many friends. It's been a great way to connect with readers and other hikers. And there's been a lot of pros. And there's also been a lot of cons, um, just in terms of how many times a day I feel like I pick up my phone, or I pick up my phone to check the weather, and then all of a sudden I'm on Instagram. And like I don't love that. Um, I took three months off towards the end of last year in an effort to try to rebuild some of my creative attention, I felt like I had lost the ability to do like deep focused work in the way that I wanted to. Like I was almost like, it was like I was thinking in Instagram posts or like thinking in sound bites. And there was just something that I felt a little bit uncomfortable with. Um, I also have always been curious about, especially for someone like me, who all of my work is, or my writing at least is like Public personal story sharing, like what is the line between what's work and what's not work, and like what's personal and what's private. And I just started to feel like maybe I don't want to be on social media anymore. And that felt like a very blasphemous thought to have. Um, and it also felt like a scary thought to have because. You know, if you work online or if you are an author and wanting to sell books. And it's just made a lot easier by social media. And what I did was I set myself on what I called a scavenger hunt. This is how I make things more fun. I like to turn them into games. A scavenger hunt to find examples of people whose work I respected and admired who weren't using social media. Because the story that I was telling myself is there's absolutely no way to be successful, however you determine that, right? Like to have a to have your enoughness needs met money-wise, to have enough friends to have creative fulfillment if you're not gonna use these platforms. And it was like laughably easy to find examples where that was not true in, in like many different fields. And so that kind of helped break me out of whatever the like story I was telling myself that I absolutely have to do this thing. And then mm-hmm. I just started to get curious like, well what if I just didn't? What if I just left? And that became more and more appealing once I gave myself permission to not need to hate it in order to leave. Like, I think I thought about this a lot in getting divorced. Um, you know, my former spouse and I are really good friends. It was much more of like an uncoupling transition to friendship process. But we struggled a lot in the decision to get divorced because the story we had always been told was like, you only get divorced if you're miserable and you hate each other. And we were like, well, if that's the criteria for doing it, we'll get there eventually, but why? And I felt the same thing with Instagram, that it's like you're allowed to quit if it's like destroying your mental health and you're on your phone like 14 hours a day. And like just kind of this idea, again, it goes back to the like obsession with like don't give up no matter what, right? That can like come up in different areas that we've already talked about that it's like, well, I'm not not miserable on Instagram, but I think that I would be happier without it. And so then it became really about what is the price of admission that I'm willing to pay to give that a shot. And I guess the price of admission is to lose whatever it is bringing me, but also to challenge myself to come up with like more creative marketing ideas, right? Like if social media isn't an option, What cool stuff would I do that I don't do because I go the lazy way of just like put it up in my Instagram stories? I don't know. I mean, this is all very real time for me, right? Like, we're talking, what is it today, April 5th? Mm -hmm. And so this is like happening. I have no answers. I've also given myself permission to, like, it's not like Instagram's not gonna let me log back in. I'm not deactivating my account. I'm leaving it as kind of like an online business card, right? I'll be intentional with what the last few posts are that I put up that link to the other places um, where I am. And I'm like, if this creates an unsustainable, like, income loss for me, then I'll just come, I'll change my mind. Right. It's not like, I don't know. I am fine with changing my yeah. mind, but it feels like an experiment that's worth doing. Um, for me, yeah.
0: it's sad is like, honestly, I think Instagram for the first four or five years, you know, was actually really a fun, pretty much generally positive, great thing. And it's just, I don't know. they I feel they've ruined it. It just every update every month, every year, it just gets worse. It just gets less fun. It just gets grosser. And it's just yeah. kind of sad because I feel like there was so much potential. And if they had kind of just stuck to their – if they had just kind of kept it photos even. I mean, they're trying to be TikTok. And, and, right. and, and that process, it's made, for me at least, as like a photographer and whatever. I don't really like the videos, to be honest. I like the photos. I like that as being – you know what i mean and i don't know i just it's kind of sad i, I you're, you're braver than me like i you know with documentaries coming out and and all of that i'm I'm too chicken to quit but you know and i don't like you also i don't really per se hate it but i don't really enjoy it either so yeah. i do I, I try to limit myself but but yeah i'm i go i'm basically saying good good for you and i hope it works yeah <laughs>
2: Thanks, I hope so too. I you know. feel like, you know, I mean, and this could be a much longer conversation yet. Like I'm not a video creator, right? So like seeing how many of the platforms now are prioritizing video that I'm like, yeah. I'm just not gonna make a reel. I'll tell you, I'm just not. And like, so seeing that it's going in a direction that I'm, that's like, writing has always been my thing. Like even the photo aspect of Instagram was never, like photos mm-hmm. are not my natural, like creative output. And, you know, the, something else that I have noticed is like some of the ways that i tried to manage my experience of social media felt a little bit similar to what I used to do with alcohol. that it's like okay well you you can be on instagram from this hour to this hour and then you have to like delete the app from your phones that you do and then you re-download it and like there's all these things that can work and if someone feels good with whatever their boundaries are that's great but I like it just started to feel a little like "Mm, if I need all of these things in place to do this like there might be something bigger going on here and I don't know I'm interested in like a little bit more privacy I'm interested and and also I will say like I I started my first blog in 2007, so I've been sharing personal stories like on the internet for like basically my entire adult life. Like I'm leaving with you know a email newsletter list, and like I've been self-employed for over a decade. I have it's I think it's it's um it's different. I think it would potentially be harder to start a brand new thing without it. I don't have that experience, but I feel a little bit more confident that I'm not like leaving and burning everything down. I have other channels where you know, people that I really like hang out and you know, customers, readers, community members, that kind of thing. So I'm cautiously optimistic and we'll see what happens.
0: Well, and I'm a video creator. That's what I do for a living, and I don't want to do video on Instagram.
2: Right, so right. There you go. You know. yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, But
2: I mean, I do. I have noticed within myself there, and and particularly with the hiking, right? Like the commitment that I made when I decided that I was going to do these like daily posts from the trail was like I was going to talk about all of the things that I felt like I wished other people talked about, right? Whether it was like being bored or how often you know you don't feel just like grateful to be alive and outside, and like what's it like when you like get your period on trail and it's really painful. Or, like, all these things that I wanted. And, and I'm not saying nobody talks about it, right? But, like, whoever I was paying attention to when I first started long distance hiking, that wasn't what I was getting. And so it, like, felt really important to me to talk about, like, the whole of my experience. But even in that, it's, like, what do we gain and what do we lose when we're sharing, like, every aspect of something publicly? Because I think it's both. Um, and there's certain things that I'm willing to do that for, which is, like, long distance hiking and and some other things. But I don't like when I start to think about my life as content to be shared. There's like something that feels kind of icky in my brain when I'm like, okay, well, this photo would do well on, so like, what does that even mean? Like it it changes the way that I think about myself in a way that I don't like. It's really easy for me to look to that like external validation. So I'm I'm curious what it will be like. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: (laughs) I
1: just love that you framed it sort of as, I'm gonna try it. You know what I mean? like, and, yeah. and, that, and that you've done the research and it's made you think more creatively of, like, how to think outside of that box, right? So, like, this is a box or the lane that everybody's in right now. And how do I achieve the same things or try to, change, you know, achieve similar results without it? And, like, all the creativity and, like, research you've done to do that. I really admire that. And then also being like, it may not work. And if it doesn't right. work, I'm like, right, you learn, right? You yeah. learn. You try a new pair of shoes in the trail and they don't work. And you think, you know. Low. You think that trail runners are going to be great for long distance hiking? and You're like, nope. I need my boots. Like you go back to your totally. boots. like Whatever it is, right? Like we don't have to be stuck always on this path. You know that yeah, we can so just just try stuff. Change our minds.
2: Yep. Try it. Yeah. Change our and minds. like. I'm not an I'm not an influencer right like I don't actually make money on Instagram and like that was a pretty not to say like of course I have sold books off Instagram right like there is there is a path there but that was a really intentional choice for me um one of the mistakes that I made when I first got into running um I was like so in love with it and I had been this really public party girl and like big drinker and so when I made this big life change and made it really publicly I started to get a lot of questions from people that were like oh I've never run before and like I'm really interested like this sounds somewhat relatable like do you have advice for me and my running coach at the time um he and I paired up to start like a real real beginners training program that wasn't just the training it was like the emotional side of like how to change your life essentially and it was awesome and I loved it and it was profitable and fun and when I fell out of love with running I was like uh-oh I've like put myself in this identity cage where I'm known as a capital R runner and like I don't want to talk about running anymore but this is how I'm making my money Cool, cool, cool. What do I do? And that was like a huge crossroads for me of like kind of coming to terms with that advice of like monetizing your passions, which again might be great for some people, but turned out to be horrible for me because what happens when your passions change or you change your mind or you don't want to talk about that anymore? And I wound up closing down that business. And it was, it was like a it was a hard time. And so in getting into long distance hiking, yes, I'm aware that I make it's like I'm making some money from the book, but like the book is its own thing. I've never made money from hiking, right? And that to me felt really, really important because what if at some point I really am like burn all this gear. Now I wanna like do watercolor painting in the garden, right? Like I really value giving myself permission to change. And um, I feel like I was very leery about going the like influencer route because then you're sort of potentially boxed in or at least that was my fear.
0: So, I mean, you've done all this amazing hiking. Uh, We haven't really talked about, you know, what, what are your, what's your favorite places? What are your, you know, what are your highlights of your hiking career?
2: Oh gosh. Um, What are my highlights? Okay. Um, Or not
0: career, as you're saying. Sorry. Yeah, right.
2: Highlights of my not career. Highlights (laughs) of my my hobby. Yes. Um, The Washington section of the PCT, especially the like North Cascades, bananas, very much recommend that. Um, The Arizona Trail goes through the Grand Canyon, which was incredible. I had been there before, but never all the way, like down in and back out. And just, it was one of those places where I felt like every around every bend was more beautiful. Like it's some. I felt like my brain like wasn't even processing how like big and I, right, even right now I'm like what are these words I'm saying beautiful big none of that means anything but it was very awe-inspiring. Um, loved that and I there was so much of the Colorado Trail too that I, I feel like mile for mile the Colorado Trail is just incredibly beautiful. Um, I did have some issues with altitude sickness or rather with uh, side effects of the medita- of the medication that I took to help prevent altitude sickness. So, like, there's definitely some things I would do differently with that. But, I mean, Colorado's amazingly beautiful. I loved, I loved that so much. But, and last year, I did uh, 725 miles of the AT. And that was my experience of, like, oh, you're in the woods all day, every day. Which, like, did get a little old. I'm not going to lie.
0: The tunnel, yeah.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> even that was beautiful, too. It was, like, maybe in smaller ways. It wasn't the huge views and stuff. But... There's so many beautiful places to walk. Mm-hmm.
0: That's great. So Jason, now Jason
1: you're you're funny. You are like, "What haven't we talked about?" We haven't talked about the outdoor things." And I'm like, "We haven't man. talked about your puppy."
0: Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. <sorry>.
0: It's <laughs> ruined your life. Apparently, the puppy yeah. has ruined your life.
2: It has gotten better. It, okay. I the first like 6 weeks Especially the first month, I cannot tell you how miserable I was. Like I would be like up at night, like you know, after every two hours, like taking her out to pee or whatever, like literally googling like why do I regret my puppy? Like do you, what happens if I don't love my puppy? Right? Like the I was. <laughs> it was bad, and part of it was sleep deprivation for mm-hmm. sure, and part of it was you know, I've chosen not to have kids. That's not my path. Like the kind of being the person who's caring for other beings in that really intense way is just not something that I was ever interested in. And what I thought, I always knew that autonomy was important to me. I've built, you know, my life as a self-employed person really around that. I thought that autonomy was like important but I didn't realize it was like the linchpin of my mental well-being until it I felt like it was taken away and it was just this like and she was a rescue and she, she was really sick and she had giardia and she had worms and it was I mean it was just yeah I had a very and that was another thing where I'm like the only thing I'd ever seen people talk about was like oh my God, I love dogs so much and puppies are so cute. And like, that's all true. But I'm like, no, 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 where are the people? And so once I started talking about it publicly, the emails and DMs that I got, y'all, from people that were like, oh my God, the first like six months with my puppy, I wanted to die. It was terrible. Like I hated her so much. And I was like, ah, my people, right? So that was another instance of like, I knew it was going to be hard work, but I did not realize how much it would bring up like my own perfectionism. Am I, I felt like everything I was doing, I was doing it wrong. I'm in charge of feeding her. What do I feed her? You know, I got really deep down the, like, what to feed a dog rabbit hole on the internet. Like it was just, so it is, it has come a long way. I'm feeling a lot better. I vividly remember the first day where I was like, Oh my God, I haven't regretted her once today. And that felt like a big milestone, but.
0: Mm -hmm. I'm having these flashbacks and the word that pops in my head is, uh, is Lucy. Yes. So, <laughs> so
3: we yeah. yeah, we have we have a a a uh, labradoodle named Lucy that we got as 8 weeks old and um highly recommend that you if you're adopting a, a dog with your spouse that you leave for several weeks as I did. I was actually in Arizona hiking yeah. for 2 weeks. <laughs> When she picked up the puppy and, you know, she called me like two days later crying and saying, I, I think I'm taking it back. I got to take it back. It's not working out.
2: Yeah, and yeah. I have had that conversation with so many people and it's the same thing. So my, my partner um, kind of works seasonally and so had been off work um, for a really big chunk of time and like him going back to work coincided basically with us getting the pep. It was just like terrible timing. So, and because she was so sick with Giardia, which was like so contagious at all the advice and the vet and stuff was like, Keep her confined in one area so that it's not like oh well, it, the giardia spores or whatever are gonna get on the couch all the stuff so she and there was one day where this puppy and i were quarantined in the kitchen for like 12 hours and i'm like this is th- this is not for me um <laughs> but yeah so okay. yeah you, my favorite
0: Drink cow poo water and never get it, and then you get it from a puppy, right? I don't know, like, I didn't, yeah. I
2: still didn't, so my <laughs> okay, my okay, streak yeah. of not getting dirty It's wild to me how cavalier people are about not treating water on long distance hikes. Like that, I just have hiked so many people that are like, yeah, I assess the water source when I get to it, and maybe they're just more experienced than me. But I'm like, I am not playing water roulette. I am, ne- I will filter every water, even if I like see it melting off of the snow. Like I, I have heard such horror stories about waterborne illnesses that I'm like, no, I will, I will do. Every everything in my power to not have that happen.
1: My my favorite thing about getting my first dog was the reaction because wasn't planning on having kids. And everyone was like, oh, this is going to like, oh, you got a puppy? You're going to want kids after this. And I was like, oh no. It's just like nail in the coffin of not having kids. I was like, same thing. After three or four days of sleep deprivation, I was like, how do people do this for months? Years, like, and you right? can't create yeah. your child. Like you can't at some point create your child when they're Eight to nine weeks old, and like go to the grocery yeah. store. I was like, "Yeah, no." It just it's,
0: yeah, it's, it's yeah, highly Jeff, frowned upon. I was say, <laughs> Jeff yeah. Jeff would be the only one that can answer this question on this podcast at the moment. So.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's it solidified my decision too. I was yeah. never yeah. on the fence about the decision. It was always I, I'm yeah. grateful that I always knew it was a no for me because you know I have a lot of empathy for especially friends of mine in the similar age bracket that are like, "Eh, t- time's running out. Do I do I not?" Right? Like I that must be really hard. Um, but it definitely, I was like, oh, I wasn't wrong. That was my, <laughs> that was my experience. Like, aha, yeah. I do yep. know myself. Good job, Nicole. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, but but even in getting the puppy like that, that does curtail the freedom for height, rate. Right? There was definitely like a conversation of how settled do I want to be here, you know? And so I'm going out for a three-week hike next month and he's staying home with the puppy. And so there's a little bit of the like navigation of that.
0: Yeah, and how can people not find you on social media? I know, right? Yeah, that's a fair quite like
3: Okay, so we're not going to okay. find you on social media. But how but can they we buy, the yes. we yeah. mm-hmm. buy the book? We want to follow you. We want to buy the book. We want to subscribe your blog. to your newsletter. Yeah.
2: I would say the book website, backpackingbooks.com, is probably the best place, just because there's links to stuff. I have um, a link to my current gear list if people are like gear nerds. Um, I have a list to my hiking playlist, which the um, – the the mood of that the vibe of that playlist as i mentioned before that it's 1 p.m it's the hottest part of the day you're at the bottom of the mountain you don't want to climb it but you have to climb it what's the song you put on obviously that's going to be different for everyone but that's kind of the vibe of that <laughs> playlist so i have links to all that kind of stuff and um you know links to my Substack newsletter all that i'm i am very findable so
0: <laughs> awesome thank thank you so much this has been a lot of fun
2: yeah it was fun yeah. for me yeah. too thanks y'all Amazing.
0: Well, that's going to do it for us. Please make sure to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on social media on Instagram at almost there underscore AP or the almost there adventure podcast on Facebook. If you'd like to support us financially, you can subscribe to our Patreon. Just go to patreon.com forward slash ATAP. You can find Severia at adventure us women. That's adventure. US women. Jeff at the SoCal hiker or me at the mirror project. Our title track, Almost There, is performed by Opus Orange and is provided courtesy of Emoto. For more about this episode and all of our others, make sure to check out our show notes on our website, almostthereadventurepodcast.com. On our next episode, we talk to hiking blogger Greg Sakowitz. As always, thanks for listening.